0: All right, with that said, we're in 1 Kings tonight, continuing on with, um, I guess you could just say like, yeah, well, we're finishing up Rehoboam, but it, it's just wasted potential. I'll just tell you that much. That's kind of what you feel like when you read uh, through these these kings here of Israel and their wickedness. Now... Uh, before we get started, I just want to say last week we, did Jer- we finished the life of Jeroboam. And we are at a place where Israel has become divided. Judah is in the south, and that actually includes both Judah and Benjamin. The other ten tribes are considered the northern kingdom or the kingdom of Israel. And this is the way it will continue on until uh, the uh, northern destruction uh, by the Assyrians and then the southern destruction by the Babylonians. So we'll see this just continue uh, with these two different kingdoms. So we'll be going back and forth between Israel and Judah as we continue on. So let's go ahead and pray and we'll get into the story of Rehoboam. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this evening. We pray to your God that you would teach us. Lord, we we know that uh, although we're disappointed to read about failures, God, we know that we need to hear it because our hearts are... Deceitfully wicked, Lord, we choose often to listen to our flesh and not listen to you. And so, God, we pray now that as we read about Jeroboam, it might bring about conviction in our own lives. It might bring about transformation and a looking to you. Uh, So we, we pray now that you bless this study, that you'd encourage us through the work that you've done for us, and we give this time to you, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So Rehoboam. So again, Jeroboam was told that if he obeyed God, God would bless him and establish him. And he did the very opposite. Now we get into Rehoboam. And we're in 1 Kings 14 verse 21. 1 Kings 14 verse 21 starting out. And it says, and Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, reigned in Judah. Rehoboam was 41 years old when he became king. He reigned 17 years in Jerusalem, the city which... The Lord had chosen out of all the tribes of Israel to put his name there his mother 's name it was Nama and ammonitus. now Judah did evil in the sight of the Lord, and they provoked him to jealousy with their sins, which they committed more than all that their fathers had done, for they also built for themselves high places, sacred pillars, wooden images on every high hill and under every green tree, and there were they were There were also perverted persons in the land. They did according to all the abominations of the nations which the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. So, we're going to pause there for a moment and just talk about Rehoboam. So, Rehoboam, if you remember, when he became king, he didn't even make it uh, to his coronation before Israel was completely divided under his reign. He, uh, like his father Solomon, who had started establishing all this cultic worship and the worship of the gods of the land, he also adopted this. Now, when he became king, he decided, uh, he asked for some wisdom about how he should go about becoming king, and he got wisdom from some of Solomon's counselors who were wise, and then he got wisdom from some of his buddies that he grew up with, and he chose to take their wisdom, that he would tax the people, that he would really put his boot on their neck, and he barely made it out of the coronation alive. The people had basically were rebelling against him. He left, and that's how Jeroboam became king, and then Rehoboam continued on. Now, there's a couple of things I want to point out here in this very first part. Rehoboam, as well as all the kings, always had a choice to honor the Lord. And notice that God puts this statement that Rehoboam was king over Jerusalem, the city which the Lord had chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, to put his name there. That's talking about the temple. It's talking about the Ark of the Covenant. It's, it's, it, that is where God put his name. Saying that of all the places, this is where the worship of God is to be done. And that should really bring about a sense of joy for the people that this is where God has chosen. It, it certainly should say God has chosen to bless us, to reveal himself to us. We should worship him in return. But instead of doing that, they said, "You know what? Maybe we can get something better from these other gods. Maybe we can do this." These other gods that they were worshiping were the gods of the land, as as it tells us that uh, that these are the, the same gods that and the abominations that God had had pro, uh, had driven the people out of the land before Israel came. This was child sacrifice. Idols everywhere. It caused God to become jealous of the people. Uh, this is terrible. Verse 22, uh, Verse, sorry, verse uh, 23, uh, sorry, 21 says that his mother's name was Naamah, an Ammonitess. Now, do you remember that Solomon started marrying women from other lands as he was commanded not to do? And as a result of marrying these women or even just taking on these concubines, he, he began establishing the worship of them. Deuteronomy 23, verses 3 through 6 tells us a little warning from God as the people came out of the land. God told them, an Ammonite or a Moabite shall not enter the assembly of the Lord. Even to the 10th generation, none of his descendants shall enter the assembly of the Lord forever. So, because they did not meet you, uh, you can go to the next one. Because they did not meet you with bread and water on the road when you came out of Egypt, and because they hired against you Balaam, the son of Baor from Pethor of Mesopotamia, to curse you. Now, I'm going to stop there. Uh, God gave the strict command that an Ammonite nor a Moabite is never welcome uh, in the assembly of the Lord. Now, This isn't saying that that an Ammonite or a Moabite cannot become an Israelite because we see that happen with Ruth. Do you remember Ruth the Moabitess said, now your people will be my people and and, and I, I, I will be a part of you and I will worship your God. Ruth became an Israelite and actually Ruth ends up in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. So God was not just racist against other peoples. There were provisions to be able to come into Israelite, to become an Israelite, to, to uh, be part of the covenant people. But this issue is that you're not going to welcome in Ammonites as Ammonites. You're not going to worship their gods. You're not going to bring them in. You're not going to be a part of them. You're not going to intermarry. And as a result of that, and God warned that if you do this, your your people are going to be led astray and you're going to start worshiping false gods and doing false things. And certainly we can see that even in today's world. When, when, when believers start walking in the counsel of the wicked, as Psalm 1 puts it, or standing in the way of sinners or sitting in the seat of scoffers, we become a part of the ungodly group, the way of the wicked... And we see standing out as the righteous people of God, and so so uh, the believer is never supposed to have a part in being just like the world now it 's different if you if you stand faithfully as a believer it 's different as you if you uh, bring them into the house of the Lord, you welcome them in and, and share the gospel with them, but you should not be taking all your cues on life and and uh, the meaning of life and all those things from the unbeliever. That's, that's not the way a believer should live. Well, uh, Solomon married this Ammonitus. Now, it says, verse 22, Now Judah did evil in the sight of the Lord, and they provoked him to jealousy with their sins. Look at this. Which they committed more than all that their fathers had done. For they also built for themselves high places, sacred pillars, wooden images on every high hill and under every green tree. I, I can't help but think of India and Nepal when I read this verse, because everywhere you go, there's an idol. There's idols everywhere. Every block you travel, there, there's an idol there. In fact, when I've gone with new people to India or to Nepal and we're walking, I'll say, Oh, that's an idol. And they're like, What? Oh, I never realized. Oh, that's an idol. That's an idol? Yep, that's an idol. And that's where people worship and, and uh, they get the little uh, red uh, paste and they put it on their heads when they go to their worship in the morning. And so you see these idols everywhere. And that's kind of what Israel's becoming, this land of idolatry. Uh, notice also that it says that, and there were also perverted persons in the land. They did according to all the abominations of the nations with the, which the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. Now I, I think this is a reference to Deuteronomy 23 again, where it speaks about that uh, temple prostitutes. That you'll never allow these cultic prostitutes to bring their money into the temple. Uh, the the nations of the land that God drove out—that was a part of their their worship was through cultic prostitution. I mean, what what kind of man doesn't love to worship? Uh, their God through sex, right? Well, hey, that, that's a great deal, right? What kind of a person doesn't love to gain wealth and wisdom by the sacrifice of their child? That's a great deal, right? We can always make another child. The, these were the things that were going on, the wickedness that was going on, and and God is saying, no, no, no you're not going to do this. And and it says that they they had these perverted individuals in the land. Now it, it's hard to say. There's a lot of theories about what perverted was uh, means, but I want to tie in perversion with abomination. That's kind of the way you can see it. Those things that God considers an abomination or evil, a twisting of His creation or how His creation is going to conduct themselves. And so that's what uh, God calls as uh, perversions. Uh, whenever we take th- something that God has created and we pervert it, uh, these people were doing this and God is calling it out. So, uh, Rehoboam had potential. He had the wisest father to ever live on the planet. Uh, we, we know that Solomon was the wisest king ever, ever. He also inherited the richest land, the greatest wealth of any kingdom ever. Remember with Solomon, people were traveling just to see the wealth. They were coming up, just like, I just got to see the wealth. And when they would see the wealth of Solomon, which was truly the golden age of Israel, They would leave more wealth behind and they would set up ways to trade with Solomon. That's what Rehoboam inherited. Now look at what happens. Verse 25. Uh, I just want to make sure. I Yeah. Verse 25. And it happened in the fifth year of King Rehoboam that Shishak, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem. And he took away the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house. He took away everything. He also took away all the gold shields which Solomon had made. Then King Rehoboam made bronze shields in their place and committed them to the hands of the captains of the guard who guarded the doorway of the king's house. And whenever the king entered the house of the Lord, the guards carried them, then brought them back into the guard room. Uh, And I'm going to stop there. So uh, we read that uh, the fifth year of King Rehoboam, Shishak the king of Egypt came And attacked Israel. Now, Shishak, uh, the first, and his name is spelled a little bit different for the Egyptians. uh, He founded the 22nd dynasty of the Egypt. So we're talking about 940, from about 945 BC to 924, and uh, and it's well attested throughout even secular history. That he came into the Levant, that's that area of Israel, and attacked. So, so we see that, that uh, Shishak comes in and he attacks Egypt. Now we're going to talk more about Shishak in just a minute. Uh, just only, Simply because that name is fun to say, right? So, <laughs> but, but notice what he did. He took away the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house. He took away everything. He also took away all the gold shields which Solomon had made. So the, all this wealth that Saul, that Rehoboam had inherited from his father, in a moment it was taken. It was all taken away. And notice this statement about these golden shields. If if you remember back to uh, earlier in 1 Kings, that amount of money for those golden shields in 1 Kings 10, verses 16 through 17, you don't have to go there right now, but Solomon had made 200 of these large shields of hammered gold, and 600 shekels of gold were in each one, and he also made 300 shields of hammered gold that were smaller, and three minas of gold went into each one. Now, these were all decorative shields, and it was really a symbol of the wealth of Solomon. He, he showed, are, gold is a terrible metal for a shield. It doesn't work. It's a softer metal. But it's great for showing the wealth and the opulence of the kingdom. And we read also in 1 Kings 10 that the wealth in Solomon's day was so that silver was common. It, it wasn't worth much at all. Everything was done in gold because of his wealth. Well, now in a moment, all this wealth taken away. Just everything stripped from Rehoboam. Now, in verse... Twenty seven, it says, Then King Rehoboam made bronze shields in their place and committed them to the hands of the captain of the guard, who guarded the doorway of the king's house. And whenever the king entered the house of the Lord, the guards carried them, then brought them back into the guard room. So this is Rehoboam trying to look good, trying to look wealthy, trying to retain some of the opulence of his father's kingdom. Well, everything was taken from us. Those shields that represent our power and our wealth and all those things, Egypt just came in and took them. We didn't even have a chance. Shishak came in, stole them all. We're now poor, so let's make some bronze shield. He's putting on a show for everyone. Looking good on the outside. By the way, those ceremonial shields that Solomon made would have been Somewhere to the tune of $35 million just to make those those shields. Uh, but now he's got all these bronze shields. It, it, this definitely reminds me of someone who's playing the part. They're trying to look good on the outside, but inside they're totally corrupt. My, my kids and I, yesterday for Lucy's birthday, we went to the wild animal park uh, and the safari park. Hadn't been there in a long time. And we did uh, this special zip line thing for, for them. And so it's, uh, I didn't know this, but it's like one of the largest zip lines in the U.S. It's two-thirds of a mile. It's huge. And you get to go over rhino pits. I, I wish that there was some sort of extra excursion package where you could drop down into a lake or something and have lions all around you. But that didn't happen. <laughs> anyway. But uh, as Lucy is getting ready to get hooked up and go, I'm like, Huh. That's interesting, that cable's fraying. Well, see you later. <laughs> so, uh, obviously it wasn't. But I'll tell you, if there's ever a time when you want something to be what it actually looks like, it's when your life is dependent upon it. When you're about to step off a ledge and and go zipping down this <laughs> over rhinoceroses, you know. Not to mention that the fall alone would kill you, but then some rhino would just come and trample you, you know. So... uh you you want it to be what it looks to be. You want it to have integrity. And so does God with us. God wants us to have integrity. That we are who we say we are. That what we do when we're alone is the same that when we're all here together as a church worshiping him. You and I should have integrity. In Matthew 23, Jesus gives some... Woes to the Pharisees. Now, remember just for a moment who the Pharisees and the scribes were supposed to be to Israel. They were supposed to be lights for Israel. They were supposed to be those who knew the word of God and helped people and encouraged people to follow the word of God. But instead, they had become hypocrites. And so so here in Matthew chapter 23, verses 27 and 28, you can read... The rest of the woes later on on your own. But Jesus says this, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Now, I just want to pause there for a moment. The word hypocrite was the idea of someone playing a part. It's wearing a mask to play a part. So, so Jesus says, You're hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanliness. Now, I can't ever go to a graveyard, uh, and you know, graveyards are beautiful places. You, you go to a graveyard, they're so well manicured, especially like uh, the National Cemetery in Riverside. It's so peaceful. It's just gorgeous, the way they keep it up and take care of it. You're just like, it's a really beautiful place. But it never changed the fact that you're surrounded by death. Right? And, and that's, what, that's why we don't hang out and have picnics in graveyards, right? Because ultimately it's beautiful. It's, it's, oftentimes, graveyards are more beautiful than parks, but they're full of death and dead men's bones. And, and Jesus, as he's calling out to these scribes and these Pharisees who should so know the Word of God and encourage it, and they, they've studied it, they're total hypocrites. They look great on the outside, they look beautiful. But on the inside, they're just rotting dead men. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. You know, it's easy to fool and put on a show for people. It's not hard to do that. Especially those of you who have grown up in the church, you know the lingo. You, you, You know how to speak churchanese you know you you know how to how to how to get along I, i'll never forget i had a favorite bible verse that i had no understanding of because when i was a little kid i received a sticker that said john 14:6 so because i grew up in the church and i was confirmed in, in the 7th grade i was or no 8th grade i was confirmed i went through confirmation classes learned all about the liturgy liturgy of the church memorize psalm 23 i had done all those things but i didn't understand any of it i even received a bible and they took me up in front of the whole church and they said this is now a christian huh. <laughs> but uh, john 14:6 just eluded me i didn't understand it and it's hard for me to look at john 14:6 jesus said I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It was, it's so hard for me to even understand that I could be so dull of thinking that I didn't understand that verse. But, but you know what? I grew up in the church, and I was a numb church kid. I, I praise, I, I'm so thankful my parents had me going to church. I'm so thankful that my mom told me that if I was going to stay in the house after high school, you're going to church uh, that's just the way it goes, and, and I'm really thankful for my parents' faithfulness in that area, but I, I was just numb, and I knew all the lingo, but inside, I was a tomb, a rotting corpse, one who didn't have life. It wasn't until I finally understood what John 14, 6 meant that I received that wonderful life from the Lord Jesus Christ, but you're not really fooling anyone, If you're a hypocrite. Yeah, well, sorry. You might be fooling people around here, but we don't matter. Like, you're just making things painful for yourself. Walking around without integrity and acting the part of a Christian, but really, truly being a hypocrite. Inside, you're just a dead corpse, and the only person you're fooling is yourself and maybe us. But the one who actually matters is not at all being fooled. Revelation God writes to the churches in Asia, he sends seven letters out, and to the church in Laodicea, they're, they're in an area with all this wealth, and, and they look great, they, in fact, they're even called a church, Jesus recognizes them as a church, but he sends this scathing letter to them, this letter of rebuke and reproach, because there's something wrong with them. In fact, Jesus tells them that they're lukewarm, that they're kind of puke because he's about to vomit them out of his mouth because of this this lack of integrity in who they are. And he says this in verse 18 of chapter 3 in Revelation, I counsel you to buy for me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. So Revelation 3 verse 18, if you're trying to pull that up. Revelation 3 18, Jesus gives this invitation. By the way, in this chapter he says, "I Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and have fellowship with him and he with me. And Jesus is giving this wonderful invitation to those who are hypocrites, to the corpses, to the the people that look good on the outside, that speak church and ease, but inside there's no integrity. They're just rotting bones. And he says, listen, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire. What's gold refined in the fire? Well, it's the stuff that's legitimate. It's real. It's actually valued at what it should be valued at. It's not fake gold, fool's gold. It's not gold with all sorts of impurities. An ounce of real gold, purified gold, is worth that amount. And and it's the real deal. And Jesus is saying, buy that gold. The the gold is worth something. Yeah, I know you're the center of wealth in Asia, Laodicea, you've got all sorts of value, but it's valueless. It has no real value. So buy from me. It's kind of like, uh, today, you know, we always hear that by the time you're ready to retire, there will be no Social Security left, right? And, and w- how many have heard that, right? We've all heard that. And we all wonder, like, I don't know if there's going to be any Social Security. Uh, because the way they're, they're spending and the way they're taking loans out on their spending and all this sort of stuff. Uh, and I'll tell you right now, if we ran our households the way they run the government, <laughs> we wouldn't have households. But that's another topic altogether. So we'll get out of that. Uh, but but we all hear that we're investing this money and that by the time we get to where we're in the pyramid scheme and we, scheme, we can pull out, there's going to be nothing left because the value of the dollar won't be worth what it's said to be worth. Now, whether or not that's true, you've got to wait and see. Okay, you'll find out. But But nonetheless, Jesus is saying there's something more precious that you can invest in, something legitimate, something real and that you find only in Jesus Christ. So buy for me, buy get from me the white garment that will clothe your nakedness. Get from me the salve to put on your eyes that you might be able to see clearly. And uh, and that is the goal that you get rid of your hypocrisy, those old bones that are dead and became the new creation. In Christ Jesus. Last verse I want to say about this hypocrisy that Rehoboam reminds me of with his fake shields is Malachi 3.2. Sorry, Bethany, I forgot to give you this verse. Malachi three two. Uh, God says, but who can endure the day of his coming and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like a launderer's soap. Who can endure the day of his coming? Listen, when Jesus comes, you may think you're playing the game, you're fooling everybody, but he sees everything. He's going to be the refiner's fire, and all that is worthless is going to burn. All that is hidden by a whitewashed paint job is going to be scrubbed away by the launderer's soap. And the real deal is going to show. And the only way you get the real deal is finding it in the Lord Jesus Christ. Truly surrendering yourself over to him and giving your life to the Lord Jesus Christ and walking in him. So, this is really a charge for those of you that have been playing around with the, the life of hypocrisy and the lack of integrity in your life to say, Hey, repent now, turn back to the Lord Jesus Christ and, and walk with him in a right manner. So... Um, Moving on, uh, Shishak. Uh, so Shishak attacks Israel. He robs everything. Now uh, I want to turn over to Second Chronicles chapter twelve because we get a little more insight here in Second Chronicles chapter twelve. I'm just watching my time here. Second Chronicles chapter twelve, and uh, Chronicles gives us a little more insight into the attack of Shishak. It says, verse one. Now, it came to pass when Rehoboam had established the kingdom and had strengthened himself, now, that he forsook the law of the Lord and all Israel along with him. So just look at what he's done. He's established the kingdom and he's strengthened himself. That means that the kingdom that he received from his father, and of course, after the division, he's been able to fortify, to strengthen up, and he's probably proud of himself, feeling pretty good. But then he also forsook the law of the Lord. So, verse 2 And it happened in the fifth year of King Rehoboam that Shishak, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem because they had transgressed against the Lord with 1,200 chariots, 60,000 horsemen, and people without number who came with him out of Egypt the Lubim and the Sukim and the Ethiopians. And he took the fortified cities of Judah, and came to Jerusalem. So Rehoboam's feeling pretty proud of himself. We fortified everything. Look at us; we are great. Look at all that we've done. Let's establish some more idols and all those things. Well, God's saying, "You've forsaken me. I'm going to forsake you." And so he, he makes it five years in his reign. Five years—not very long when this massive army comes up out of Egypt. Now, going on to the next verse, it says, verse 5, Then Shemaiah, the prophet, came to Rehoboam and the leaders of Judah who were gathered together in Jerusalem because of Shishak and said to them, Thus says the Lord, You have forsaken me, and therefore I also have left you in the hand of Shishak. So the leaders of Israel and the king of humbled themselves, and they said, the Lord is righteous. This is that, uh, that, that kind of the insurance card, right? It's the Hail Mary, so to speak, right? Uh, it, it's, uh, the prophet comes and says, here's the message from the Lord. God's leaving you on your own. God's righteous. God's good. <laughs> Let's pray to God. Everybody get right with the Lord. These ones who had done more evil to provoke the Lord than all of their fathers so, they, now I do want to say something about God. He is merciful. And that was something we didn't see Jeroboam do. We didn't see Jeroboam turn. We, but we are seeing Rehoboam and the people, although it's, it's the, the, oh crud, what have we done moment. He's very merciful, God. He's a loving father. And, and I, I don't want to take that away from this story. Because God does show his mercy to Ray and Boam because they all of a sudden go, we're dead, meet, the Lord is righteous. So verse 7, now when the Lord saw that they humbled themselves, the word of the Lord came to Shemaiah saying, they have humbled themselves, therefore I will not destroy them, but I will grant them some deliverance. My wrath shall not be poured out on Jerusalem by the hand of Shishak. Nevertheless, they will be his servants, that they may distinguish my service from the service of the kingdom of the nations. Sorry about that. Got an ice cube. Um, So Shishak, so God sees that they've turned from the Lord, turned sorry, turned to the Lord, and he's ready to show Them grace and mercy. So he says, okay, they're not going to fully destroy Rehoboam, but they're definitely going to make you servants. So verse 9. So Shishak, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem, took away the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house. He took everything. He also carried away the gold shields which Solomon had made. Then King Rehoboam made bronze shields in their place and committed them to the hands of the captains of the guard who guarded the doorway of the king's house. And whenever the king entered the house of the Lord, the guard would go and bring them out. Then they would take them back into the guard room. When he humbled himself, the wrath of the Lord turned from him so as not to destroy him completely. And things also went well in Judah. So when he humbled himself, the wrath of the Lord turned from him so as not to destroy completely. Uh, That's what's amazing about God you and I would take probably the position of why do you deserve this now? What, you deserve to be destroyed. Remember all that time you had to do what was right and all the prophets and the messages you received and you kept rebelling? Well, too bad, buddy. That's kind of the way I would approach stuff. I don't know about you, but, but that's definitely the way I would see it. No, sure, now you're calling out. But... I look at the loving kindness of God and I'm kind of amazed that God says, okay, you're turning. I'll I'll, I'll recognize that when you humble yourself. Uh, When you humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, in due time he will lift you up. James tells us that we're to get rid of all sin, get rid of all all idolatry from our lives, do away with those things and humble ourselves and turn to the mighty hand, mighty, uh, hand of the Lord and he will lift us up. So we can turn to God. And I think that's a a really wonderful thing and character attribute of God that I think sometimes we don't think about enough in regards to his justice. Right? We know that God is just. And he's going to judge. And we all don't want to be judged by God. And sometimes when people die who haven't received the Lord or rejected the Lord, we want to come up with some reason why they should be saved. And I'll say this right now. Uh, God is a just God. And God is a merciful God. And God knows the heart of man. And when God makes his judgments, we're all going to be standing there going, oh, that was a good judgment. Wow, that was, you worked that out. I I wouldn't even have thought of that, God. And and we're going to be in total agreement with him about his judgments. I always think back to Revelation when it says he wipes away every tear and there's no more sorrow, no more pain. And you're thinking about that going, well, what about all those people that I didn't want to go to hell uh, there's something that's going to happen when we see God judge that we're going to be like, that was really good. And, and I, I'm going to praise God through that judgment. Well, the point of saying all this is the fact that if we turn to the Lord, he will forgive us of all of our unrighteousness, cleanse us from it, and give us that hope of a future in him. That's the whole reason why Christ came and died for us. That you and I might not suffer the judgment. So Rehoboam does make this about face. For now, it, it's worth noting that he does this, and he and he turned back around. And the Lord showed him some mercy and didn't wipe them out completely. Uh, so w- let's go back over to First Kings as we finish out this this chapter tonight. First uh, Kings tw- uh, fourteen, and it says in verse twenty nine. I just want to make sure I got everything. Uh, now the rest of the acts of Rehoboam and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? And there was a war between Rehoboam and Jeroboam all their days. So Rehoboam rested with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David. His mother's name was uh, Nama and Ammonitess. Then Abijam, his son, reigned in his place. Now I want to point out one last thing about Rehoboam. Uh, although he turned to the Lord and repented of those deeds, God said, okay, I'll spare you. But notice that he was at war with Jeroboam all of his days. That's the difference of somebody who's striving to do things on their own versus somebody who's walking in God. Somebody who's, whose pathway is set before them by the Lord. The one who, who is doing it on their own, they're going to strive. They're going to be at war all their days. They're going to continue to have this up and down, up and down. The one who walks in the Lord knows that the Lord has set before them all things. That every, There's not one thing that comes to pass that God didn't know was going to come to pass. not one single trial or any hardship or any good thing that God hasn't already foreseen and know. And me as his child... I just walk in faith, dependence upon him. And it's a much easier way to to live because there's peace that comes about through walking in the Lord versus choosing our own path and striving to make things happen for ourselves. So that is the end of the life of Rehoboam. Uh, of course, you can read the last part of 2 Chronicles on your own if you want. Uh, next week, we'll continue on. We're going to try to hit some of these kings all in uh, kind of a quick uh, tour um, and then move on to the story of God's prophet Elijah. So with that said, let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your love for us, and we thank you for your forbearance and your endurance. Lord, we thank you for your wonderful mercy. And Lord, for those of us who have been walking as hypocrites, Lord, we look good on the outside, but inside we're rotting. Forgive us. We want to confess that sin to you now. You just pray to the Lord. You say, Lord, forgive me and confess that sin to him. Lord, we want that gold that's refined in the fire. We want the salve to put on our eyes so that we can see. and We want the white garment to put on so we won't be naked. Lord, we thank you for your love and for your mercy. And you are worthy of our praise. So now, Lord, as we close out this service, we offer you this song. And truly a heart of adoration. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to thank you for joining us tonight and try to encourage one another before you leave. And may you grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and power forever. Amen.